Hello and welcome to the Tell Me If You Can podcast, a podcast where I have the honor of listening to and unpacking the stories that shape the lives of amazing women. My name is Ogechi, your host, and today's guest is Hannah Martin. Hannah is a second-generation Cuban-American, third-generation entrepreneur, and founder of Woke Space Marketing. In today's episode, she shares how her nonprofit 9-to-5 job exposed her to her passion for marketing and communications. She shares how her previous experience in activism, her love of strategy, and her interest in storytelling led her to her current role as a marketing coach. We discuss tips and tricks for people who might feel stuck in their career, and we talk about how to set boundaries for yourself. Let's take a listen to Hannah's story. Hello, Hannah, and welcome to the podcast. Uh, For those of us that don't know who you are, can you give us a quick bio, who you are, what you do, and where you're from? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Hannah Martin. My pronouns are she, her. I am a second-generation Cuban-American, a third-generation entrepreneur, and the founder and creative executive operator of Woke Space Marketing. That's W-O-C, Woke. Um, It is a marketing agency that focuses on helping entrepreneurs, mainly women of color entrepreneurs, start and scale their businesses through smart and savvy marketing. That is so amazing. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your background? You talk about being Cuban American. What was your family like and how was it growing up and who inspired you? For sure. Um, oof, that's a lot of questions. So uh, uh, <laughs> tell us what made you who you are. Okay, so let's break this down. Um, so as I said, I'm second generation Cuban American. My dad was born in Havana and came to the United States in the late 60s on what was known as the Freedom Flights. There were, um, I think it was one or two flights every day that left from, I think it was Havana to um, Florida every day. And this was just like, I I feel really fortunate that this happened. I think about this a lot, about how like the happenstance of the United States being just really anti-communism. And so they gave kind of this privilege to Cuban Americans to just grant us refugee status. Um, And so my family came here, um, they had to leave everything behind in Havana. And um, we didn't all come at once, but my immediate family did together. And um, they came to California, that was always kind of their California dream. And I've grown up in Southern California my whole life. Um, My inspiration is my dad and my abuelo, but definitely all of my family. Um, we grew up with a lot of strong women and I was raised to be a strong woman. And so they're really my inspiration. My dad owns his own engineering firm and my abuelo, my grandpa owned his, um, his own engineering firm in Cuba before the communist revolution. So I think just that grit and that passion, but also combined with this really deep family love is what motivates me in really everything that I do. That is so amazing. I think, yes, grit is a huge motivator, but I think nothing really can beat that love and support of family. And so since you already had that generational example of business ownership and entrepreneurship, what led you down the road to becoming an entrepreneur yourself? You know, it's funny because even like 
oh my gosh, time is not real. So I can't even remember how long I've been in business. I'm like, I have to count on my fingers. <laughs> I started my business officially in February. So that makes it what, like five months now. But if you told me even six or seven months ago that I was going to have my own business, I would have been like, wait, what now? Like, I'm going to do what? <laughs> because like, I, I never really heard that story or like saw it that way. It was just kind of like my dad is an engineer and he just kind of maybe has some issues with authority. So, <laughs> and so he just wanted to work for himself. And um, even starting my own online business, it's a whole different thing to navigate. Like my dad all the time is just kind of like, especially with the pandemic, he's like, you sure this is going to work out? Like people are paying you? I'm like, yeah, dad, like I'm doing kind of what you did. What do you mean? Like you just kind of have to trust it. So, um, but the whole, my whole path of getting here was, um, like I said, I, I would have never guessed I was working, a um, nine to five job, um, at a nonprofit this time last year. And even actually, um, up until January 2nd of this year. And it was my first job out of college and I was there for almost two years and I just didn't see the growth or the support that I was looking for. And I had had, I've been working since I was 16 and I, um, I just didn't have the experience I was looking for. And so I quit that job without a plan. It was just kind of like this moment of clarity where it was like, I don't really know what I'm going to do. I don't even have savings. This is not a super responsible choice, but it's what I need at this moment. And so I quit and I was freelancing in the meantime. And eventually it was just kind of like, what if I just did this all the time and just made this more formalized and made it a business. And I kind of just stumbled into this and it's worked out. So I'm going to keep doing it and I really do enjoy it. So I see myself doing this for a very long time. That is so amazing. So tell us a little bit about the nonprofit experience that you had and then what you do now as a freelance, well, a for more formalized freelancer, as you call it. Mm-hmm. So um, when I was working at the nonprofit, I started on the part-time business. And when you work at a nonprofit, anyone who's listening to this that's worked at one that's probably understands this, like, you just end up wearing a lot of hats and oh, even yeah. though you have yeah, even though you have one title, you really have like five that probably two at least of which you're not being paid for. But that's just kind of the way that nonprofits go. Um, that's a whole other sermon on like how we fundraise for nonprofits and how we need to be fundraising to be able to support the staff that pull off these amazing feats and nonprofits. But I get, I digress. Anyway, so I was um, kind of an administrative assistant in the beginning that also was doing the communications. Um, I think often people in um, kind of more less entrepreneurial, less startup-y, more kind of corporate settings see social media and communications as an afterthought. And I actually saw that a lot in nonprofits that they really didn't take like their website seriously or the social media seriously. And they haven't really moved into this digital age. And so I, there was a large opportunity there for me to learn really quickly and grow in that way. And I just kind of took it upon myself to do those because I, I saw those as important from the kind of work that I had done um, just through activist roles and being involved on campus in my college years um, and so I built the website and I built out our social media presence and I built out 
um, collateral, like, you know, brochures and an annual report, which we hadn't had in years, which is just really, you wouldn't expect that from a nonprofit that you don't have an annual report. Um, and so I just learned really quickly and actually one of the partners rec, I mean, a couple of them, but one in particular, he's a marketing professor, um, noticed all the work that I was doing. And so he offered to give me a scholarship for his, his class at, um, a a local, it's, um, a college, like an extension program. And so I took his course and I was like, man, I really like marketing. Like I really liked communications, but I also like this marketing thing. And for me, it just really brought together a lot of the skills that, like kind of my favorite skills from all my past, um, jobs. So like the activist space, like this kind of storytelling narrative, the importance of getting people involved through your story and advocating for your cause. Um, but also like connections with people more generally with communications and the strategy of it all that really brought my political mind into it. And so altogether, it just became this really interesting intersection of all the things that I've loved doing. And so it was like, well, I want to do more of this. And so I started consulting with nonprofits Um, that we were kind of partnering with in an auxiliary kind of um, way. And I connected with them like outside of my role. And I was like, man, I really like this too. But like I said, it's really hard to be paid for your work at nonprofits, especially for these communications and kind of marketing efforts. Um, And so that's when it was like, well, this isn't a fit either. And so I started reaching out to find new leads and find new sources. And that's when I formalized my business and became now I, um, my title for like what I do, I'm a marketing coach. So, um, consulting mainly with like new entrepreneurs, but also established ones for more, um, more, uh, complex kind of strategy. That is, I mean, first of all, I too have worked in nonprofit. And so when you said wearing multiple hats. I cringe anytime ever anyone ever asked me what my role was at the yeah. nonprofit that I worked at because it was like a whole sentence was my title because there was so many hats that I wore. And I agree that a lot of nonprofits, especially the more traditional ones, social media and communications um, get lumped together, which sometimes mm-hmm. they shouldn't be. And then also this actual pure social media is very much an afterthought outside of the if they, I mean, they should have a uh, annual report, but yes. um, after the annual report and the email communications, and then it's the Facebook posts and Twitter, and you're lucky if they even have an active or vibrant Instagram. So oh, I yeah, definitely. agree. And I, I think it's so wise that um, while you were in that position and you were feeling kind of stuck or that discomfort, you realize the strengths that you had and you also capitalize on the opportunity to build um, a need or build on the need that that organization needed, had. And then it led you to taking those classes and working with um, other nonprofits, which surely helped you gain skills and um, practice your skills before you led and went off and did your own thing. So for someone that might be in the same situation that might be working either at a nonprofit or a nine to five, what are some tips that you might have for them to um, maybe capitalize on the gaps that their company or their nonprofit organization might have so they can build on their skills before they choose to make a leap? 
Sure. I think um, a huge lesson that I learned from this myself was just having a really strong personal base of understanding my own worth. Um, this job, too, <clears throat> I think it it became there was a lot of no's in this job. Like there was a lot of growth. Don't get me wrong, but I had to fight like hell to get every opportunity that I had in this job, which is eventually why I ended up leaving because it was like. I'm giving so much to this organization. I keep expecting to, for them to give back and they don't. And I can't, I can't stay here based on an expectation. So it became this meditation on my own self-worth of learning what am I really good at and how can I advocate for that? And I couldn't do that until I really knew, like I said, what I was good at and what the results were. So um, in this process, I really had to own up to what I was capable of. And I think often when we're working in these nine to five jobs, this is not a dig on people that are working nine to fives. I still very much believe in the nine to five life. And I never say in my business that like I help people leave their nine to five because I think that's a very personal choice. But like, I think you kind of get stuck in this role because you're like, well, this is what I do. And these are the boundaries of what I do. But what if you always were taking stock of what you're good at and what opportunities are available? And so the first step is just, like I said, cultivating the sense of worthiness. So understanding like I am really good at my job in these ways. And for me, that came about because um, even though at first there was a lot of kind of pushback of, um, of expanding into these roles. And so it was like, well... I'm getting all my work done and here's the proof. Like not only am I getting it done, it's good work. And so it was like, mm-hmm. and then I basically had to, you know, like make this presentation to say, we should do X, Y, Z because these results are possible. And from there, it was just about like taking any opportunity and just running with it <laughs> and then recording immediately the results um, and being able to show that it was a success in some way. So that's how it became this meditation on my own sense of worth because I was creating these reports that no one asked for to give to the board of directors to say, we're doing so well. Here are all the ways that we've improved our communications, all the ways we've um, improved our marketing. We're seeing this much more traffic to our website, you know, like any kind of measurement I could find to give to the board of directors because one of the best pieces of advice that I got while I was in this role was like, make your boss look good no matter what, like mm-hmm. if, you want, please, if you want something from your boss, make your boss look good. And so that's what I was doing. I was reporting to the board, like this organization is doing so great. Here are all the ways. And isn't that so amazing? And they go, wow, this is great. Let's do more of this. And I go, absolutely. I have several ideas. <laughs> and then we kind of take it from there. So understand what you're good at, but then also understand the opportunities um, to go from there. Like always, always have that plan in your back pocket. And Um, this is kind of a side note, but any opportunity you get kind of record it any way possible. Cause if, if there was any conversation I had with my boss, like in person, just, you know, talking to one another, I would immediately send an email. It was so great talking to you about such and such. Thank you so much for your support with such and such and such. So it's like a recorded record. And like, maybe that comes off as a little bit paranoid, but then it's like this paper trail kind of that you have of like, I'm going to do this. He said it was a good idea. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. I think that is amazing advice. I really do. Because um, I've learned that the hard way, if if it's not on paper, sometimes it doesn't exist. And passing conversations, 
you know, bosses and heads of organizations, they have a million things going on in their heads. So they might even, if that whole conversation might evaporate from their mind after they leave the elevator or that hallway. So recording it is a great advice. I love that you brought that up. Right. And also it's a good record for yourself on your own efforts and things that you've done. So should you leave the job, you can go back to those emails and re- like, again, document the things that you've done in that job. And it's great feedback to give in an interview or an exit interview for a company. So I really love that piece of advice. It's not sometimes advocating for yourself or being your greatest champion comes off as aggressive or pushy. But I mean, if you don't do it, who else is going to do it? Right. Right. And I just framed it too, as like a thank you, you know, like everyone likes getting like, thank you so much for your support with your support. We've been able to accomplish la 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 la. And then when you leave, you're like, I accomplished la 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 la. <laughs> yes. Um, well, yes, that is such a good, I love that. And I, I, I think it's so f- interesting. You could talk to anyone that's working in a nonprofit and they have very similar experiences. And so that's, it's cool in that sense, but it's also how can we make that better for people and how, like you said, how do we, and that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> how do we fund nonprofits so that people aren't wearing 10 different hats and that they are focused on growth and not just survival. Right. Um, so you talked about act- activism and um, your experience being an activist, especially in college. How do you incorporate activism now in your business? For me, it's just really having um, strong values and like not shying away from the greater vision of what I want to accomplish with my business. I learned a lot about um, social entrepreneur or yeah, social entrepreneurship um, when I was in the nonprofit. That's like a really hot thing right now is people using businesses to do good, which I don't think is always a good idea. To be honest, I think this idea of like win-win sometimes just allows us to continue systems of oppression and for privilege to keep putting on a nicer mask. (laughs) But Mm. I think um, there is something to be said about like businesses. If we're thinking about systems of oppression, businesses are on a larger system than an individual. So how can I use my business to change, to disrupt these systems from the inside? So I try to use my business to, like I said, help mainly women of color start their businesses and have their own income, their own independent revenue streams that they are in charge of and they get to determine their growth and what they're capable of and what they're going to achieve. And that's really the narrative. Like the greater vision is um, in this grander scheme, like almost like women of color liberation. And I know that sounds really... um, you know, kind of just dreamy and lofty. And, but if I don't set my expectations, if I don't set my, my vision that high, then that's something I'm already selling myself short. Yes. 1000%. And I, I think that it's so important that you set, you recognize that the status quo of how to be an activist for some businesses may not be the best result for those that are actually experiencing oppression. Mm-hmm. And I agree that some people are very performative in their activism, but they haven't really dealt on how 
their business or their industry might actually contribute to oppression. Mm -hmm. And so I think you, you as a business owner are recognizing your role in um, that system of oppression and how being a part of, you know, capitalism has a lot of power, but it also means that you're able to disrupt that system of oppression. And I think empowering women from um, an economic perspective is one great step of disrupting that system of oppression, especially as um, we we know so much about that wage gap and how Mm -hmm. women of color are paid far less even women are paid far less compared to men, but then women of color are paid even less compared to their white counterparts. So understanding Mm -hmm. the systems that are built into business and capitalism and disrupting that from the inside is so cool. And I love that you set your vision, even as a new business owner from the beginning that high. Yeah, I've I've been doing a lot of reflecting lately on, you know, like what my vision is, especially coming up on like six months of owning my business. And that's something huge that I've learned is like one, the responsibility that I have, but then two, it's my responsibility also to, to set that vision, to set it high. Because like I said, if I, if I don't believe that I'm capable of doing something like that, then I'm already not capable of doing it. (laughs) Exactly. So you recently gave a TED Talk. How did you decide on the topic and how did you go about even accomplishing giving a TED Talk? For a lot of people, that's a huge life goal. Yeah, absolutely. This was a goal that I had since, um, I mean, really clearly since 2015, probably earlier than that. But um, I wanted to host a TED, a TEDx um, conference at my school Um, And I actually applied, we were denied on like a a technical error um, and we could have resubmitted, but in the process of applying, I realized that we didn't have the infrastructure that we needed to pull something like this or to pull the conference I wanted to pull off um, with the school. So I didn't end up reapplying, but I just set my goals instead on giving a talk one day. So five years in the making um, and it kind of just came to this moment where I saw someone I knew give a talk and it was like, wait, I can do that. Like, that's what I tell everyone too now is they're like, Oh, I've always wanted to give a Ted talk. And I'm like, well, you can, <laughs> like, it's a lot simpler actually than people think. And some people might think that I'm just kind of downplaying it, but like, truly, I think if you have a story to tell, if you have something to share, that's what Ted's about. Like Ted is all their tagline is like ideas worth sharing. So if you have an idea worth sharing, then I say you should just go ahead and apply. But the topic that I chose, so it's on um, the title is Latinas and the new um, and the new American dream. And really it just came from my experience. And I was in this moment of shift. This was like, I think I applied like, a week after starting my business. And so I was coming out of my last job and I experienced, like I said, some difficulty in that job. And I felt like it was, um, a lot of it was tied to my identity as a woman of color. And so it honestly was kind of just this cathartic release of, I need to tell my story and I know other people have experienced this and therefore it's going to be really important. But let me tell it in a way that like, it's not just me, it's this bigger picture. So the bigger picture was like, 
Latinas are starting businesses at faster rates than anybody else in the United States right now. Um, and I think Black women actually are coming up um, to be faster than Latinas. I haven't double-checked the statistics, but I've seen some reports lately. And no one talks about it that way. Like, no one talks about women of color business owners or entrepreneurs that way. A lot of it is about, like, marginalized communities or, even worse, minority communities. It's like we're not the minority here. Like, when you think about it, we're really the majority. And we're really powerful majority in a lot of spaces, like, I don't know a lot of women of color that aren't absolutely crushing it at their job. <laughs> and so if yeah. we can apply that into starting our own business and owning all of that success, like there's so much power in that. And so that's the story that I wanted to tell is like, look, I think that women of color are starting their own businesses and the data points to this that we're fed up and we know that we're capable of more and this is the revolution that's coming. And unfortunately, right now, the resources aren't showing that. We're not getting the funding. We're not getting the venture capital. We're not getting the loans. And so our, our growth is not where it should be um, as far as like scales um, compared to other businesses. But, um, but you know, think of what we're capable of because we've done more with less. What if we could do more with more? Mm. Yes. I, I, I really like that. You looked at what the, your identity as a, um, female woman of color business owner, and you saw what was the narrative that was being shared in that space, in the business space. And the narrative was not really reflective of the reality that you were living in that yes, women of color are actually leading in um, the charge in starting businesses, female-run businesses. And I think once the narrative gets shifted, and that's the beauty of TED Talks, that you get a new piece of the narrative that gets added, whatever that space might be in, right? Business, media, whatever. Um, once that narrative gets added onto, you can't unhear it. I mean, you could choose to, but once right. you know that information, hopefully that can empower someone else that is wanting to start a business, maybe they've been sold like, oh, there's not that many Black women starting businesses. But now you can say, actually, there are a lot and they're growing in like exponential amounts. And so what would it look like if that large number of Black women rallied together or were able to find funding together or something like that collectively? Um, and I think once that narrative shift happens, um, in a public setting, like a TED Talk, that also happens internally with the different people that get to hear you talk and hear that new perspective. So I really think that space is so powerful. Um, and I think that's why it's so desired to give a TED Talk because the reach is and the impact can be really great for a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. And um, I want to add too, um, if yeah. I can for a second, like, that's really what woke space is all about too, is like providing that space to have those conversations and to be really honest with ourselves of what we're capable about of and doing it together. Like it's always been community first for me. I think like there's that saying, you know, community over collaboration. And sometimes it comes off a little cheesy, I think, but truly like that's, that's really what I'm interested in doing. Like if I don't, if I don't do it with my community, then I don't really want to do it at all. So, um, mm. and I've seen, I've been learning that even just in the past couple weeks now, um, I'm hosting these panels 
probably by the time this recording comes out, they'll be done. But um, as of this recording, we've raised over $2,000 in just a little over a week on donations only for the tickets. Like it was pay what you can. And I'm just astounded constantly at the generosity of um, this this community. And I think that it's because I built it first with community in mind and with this empowering mindset in mind. So like, it's all, it's all yes. possible. It's just, you know, like, I think we have to break out of this idea of perfectionism and of doing it alone and this like kind of lone wolf narrative that we see often in entrepreneurial spaces. Yes. And I think um, if I may speak for myself, I feel like when I collaborate with mainly women, there is almost the fire and energy that we have as a collective of women that are community focused and community minded to get things done. That is different sometimes when I'm working with, um, you know, mainly men and this might just be my experience, but I really feel like more of the narrative of women can work and empower each other together and less of the narrative that we have to compete against each other Mm -hmm. should be shared. And I love that um, woke space creates this kind of, again, adds to that narrative and also creates this community that is very positive and focuses on empowering women together. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not that we can't do it by ourselves. It's just better when we do it together. And I've even found that more so with like women of color. It's like so many, so much of our culture is based on that community first approach. And I think we learned this maybe from some kind of like survival instincts of, you know, living in oppressive systems, we learned that we need to look out for each other. But um, also just a more feminine take on business is um, very lucrative. And people don't see that. Like people think if you're feminine in business, it doesn't get you anywhere. But this community minded approach is really powerful, especially, I mean, just being a marketer. I see that. Um because it brings people yes. more loyal to your brand. Yes. And even just from a pure statistics point of view, you have now a more diverse reach in the market share and industry. And I mean, we see this in, I'm a podcaster. We see this in podcasting groups. There's a reason why people join podcasting groups because the collective of the different groups of podcasts can then work towards getting sponsorships or deals mm-hmm. or whatever versus going it alone. It's possible to go it alone, but sometimes there's a benefit and uh, a lure to, you know, pull your resources together. And then we all benefit from the pooled resources that um, combined effort and energy giving towards the benefit of the whole. And it, I guess it sounds very um, co-op, <laughs> it sounds like a co-op, but I mean, there but there's a reason why there are people that lean towards that. And even if that's not for you, that space should be provided for someone that might need that in their business or as they start their business. I, um, what would you say is the most rewarding part of what you do? This is going to sound corny and like, I'm just saying it because I have to, but like, honestly, working with the clients that I do, it's really incredible because I feel really fortunate that, um, anytime I get to work with a new client, cause they're trusting me with their business. Often it's something that, um, maybe they haven't really fully imagined they were capable of doing before. And that's kind of my thing too, is like, okay, we did this now, now what? we're going to do something bigger. So I feel really, um, 
really fortunate that I get to see that growth within other entrepreneurs and to see that impact um, for them. Um, it's just, it's like magic, honestly. Awesome. Um, and then how do you maintain balance? Especially, I always ask people that are founders or um, CEOs of their own business. And I know right now we're kind of forced to slow down because of the environment that we're in. But how do you normally maintain balance? Oof, I'm glad you're asking this because I struggle with it, honestly. Um, I think a lot of what I've been learning lately too is to trust the timing of everything. And um, for me, it's just learning that I can do what I can do within a day. And that has to be enough because Mm. it kind of gets to this point, especially when it's all on you, right? Like all eyes on you, you got to make it work. You're providing for yourself, especially since I jumped into this without any financial like (laughs) plan. It was just like, this is what we're doing now. Um, and then with, when the pandemic hit, it was like, okay, this is really what we're doing now. Like there's no other option. Um, but I mean, you said like, you know, you have to slow down, but for me, actually, it was then like a hunkering down where it was like, you are in your office because I work from home all the time and learning to set boundaries was really difficult for me. Like I was working 14 hour days for a long time in the beginning. And the thing is, is that like, if you don't teach yourself this lesson, it's going to teach you. So it will catch up to you eventually, no matter how superhero you are, you're going to need rest and you're going to need to learn to set those boundaries. So it's better to start sooner rather than later. And to me, the great benefit, and I guess kind of like the I want to kind of also help encourage people towards that. So the carrot of this all is like, if you learn to set those boundaries, it's more about moving to moving outside of this survival instinct, because if you're always overworking yourself and you're always um, reaching for more without boundaries, then you're always in the survival mode. And it's hard to really be creative and to feel like, I'm trying to incorporate this kind of feeling of like play in my business. And that's where I get to be creative. And that's where I get to kind of just play with it and see how it goes. Like that is also a great privilege of owning your own business is getting to say, we're going to try this this week and just see how it goes. And sometimes it goes really well. And sometimes it doesn't. And there's no harm, no foul. Like it's just kind of like, well, now I know I have enough clients to be able to sustain me and I have the income I need. Let's just kind of play with this. So honestly, I'm not sure what my advice would be in the beginning because I haven't yet figured out how to avoid that. I think probably it's um, not leaving your, your nine to five, your stable income until you have that financial security so that you do have kind of that space to imagine and create and play. Um, but I will tell you that if you don't set those boundaries for yourself, it's really difficult to get into that space and then grow your business. I, 1000, I, I said slow down, but I, I meant that for other people. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> I think once this started and I, I, my normal nine to five job is now virtual until, you know, further notice, but 
I almost feel like because I had all this time at home and, you know, time then became relative. And so not it's having not to commute somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> what is time? Not having to commute somewhere kind of like shifted my idea of my time and value and things like that. And so I almost felt like I was working all the time with mm-hmm. some breaks, but it was basically me and my computer all day, every day. And I, I didn't have to realize like, okay, just because I can go to my computer and check my email does not mean that I, have I need to, to respond, to, yeah. respond to that email and creating boundaries. Like it's Friday at 8 PM. No, I'm not responding to your email. You're going to get it on Monday or Sunday night at the earliest and just setting boundaries for yourself is so hard because so many people want to have access to you. And I can yeah. imagine as a business owner and you're the person accountable for everything, everybody wants access to you all the time and you're not going anywhere. You're at home. Yeah. <laughs> so why aren't you I'm answering always here. Right now? How come you're not responding to my text message? Yeah. Um, and I think, I think that is so key, but also I love that you tell people to, um, especially now there's so much uncertainty and we might long so deeply to have something of our own in terms of a business, but mm-hmm. there's so many benefits to a traditional job. There's so right. many people that have side hustles and still maintain their traditional job. And I think that, um, sometimes the allure of making your own schedule and being your own boss mm-hmm. doesn't come with the reality, like you say, of being strapped to your desk for 14 hours and, you know, not, not having the security of a paycheck, like a nine to five would have. Right. Oh, benefit. Full story. Benefit. I mean, come on. I, I'm uninsured in the middle of a pandemic. Like that is terrifying. <laughs> it, yes. Yeah, so telling the whole true story, it's not all, you know, LLC and lullabies. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely not. It's emails at 9 p.m. because people are in different time zones. It's phone calls and, you know, coffee for lunch instead of actually eating a full meal. It's not easy. <laughs> and, um, and, like, are you in my apartment? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, as someone that has a couple side hustles, I, I, I have a taste of what it feels like. She tells me that I should keep my regular nine to five job just for a little bit longer because I like, I like the security. And I also like to be able to say, well, I actually have another job. So no, I cannot, you know, answer mm-hmm. this email right away. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but, um, but I think, yes, uh, I think, just being honest with yourself, being honest with your, what you are willing to, it's okay to grind, but also have, you know, balance because once you bring yourself out, especially as a solopreneur, then there's no one else to pick up the slack. You burned yourself out. Right. And so that balance needs to be set from the beginning. And you've done that even in your early stages of having your own business. Um, Now to the part of the show that I like to call roses and thorns. A rose is something great that's happened and a thorn is a bump along the road. So what is one rose and one thorn that you've had in the past couple of weeks? Let's see. Um, the rose is those uh, crowd, the crowdfunding campaign. I've just, like I said, I've been really amazed by the generosity of the community, especially, especially in the middle of a pandemic and somewhat of a recession. People are still digging deep into their pockets and giving to um 
that campaign, even if they don't want a ticket, which is just even more incredible. I think it's like half of the people that are making contributions aren't even wanting a ticket. They just want to support. And that's really incredible to me. Um, and a thorn actually speaking about setting boundaries, I think it's about, um, the thing that I learned that was surprising about boundaries was the person who exploits me most is myself and mm. learning that I just need to chill sometimes. <laughs> um, I think like, especially with everything going on, like I wanted to be the best activist, the best business owner, the best person, the best friend, the best, you know, everything. And learning to just tell myself no was really hard, especially with, you know, like being a solopreneur and I support myself. And if something doesn't get done, it's because I didn't do it. And so learning to set those boundaries was really difficult for me because I just had to learn to trust myself and the timing and that the work that I had put in was enough. And in the end, like it's a rose, but it was, it was a thorn for a long, long time. Wow. I think that's so insightful. I think, wow, that is so insightful because I think sometimes we can be our own biggest uh, hurdle mm-hmm. and people don't realize that, that we think that we have to work to perfection for it to be a value. And Which just perfection is what you- like this capitalistic oppressive tool. Like it doesn't exist, y'all. Yes. You know, pe- like public service announcement. <laughs> <laughs> PSA perfection yeah. doesn't exist. It's and that's okay. Not. And yes, and I mean, I think the more I've been involved in, and really, I think one of the benefits of being more involved in your workplace, like you said, outside of just the parameters of your position, is that you get to really see that the people that you work around are just imperfect beings that just keep the system going. They keep yes. the business going. Yes, we are your all boss, your CEO is not perfect. <laughs> yes. They're all these people you work with are not perfect. They just have been okay with that. And they just are confident in what they can do. Mm-hmm. And people make mistakes and people put out things that may be 90% good, but 90% is, is there's still good in that. Um, and sometimes we chase after that 100% and then we put out nothing or we put out something and then devalue it by saying, oh, well, this isn't 100%, mm-hmm. but there's value in doing what you can do. And for you, you're creating a space that does not too many of these kind of spaces exist. And right. so just being another person to create this opportunity for women of color is good enough. Mm-hmm. It has value. Does it need to be perfect? No, because again, the people that are reaching out to you and that are being coached by you are happy with just having someone that can provide them that service. And, um, yeah, when people, when I start to realize that, I'm just like, well, <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Especially for me, when I, like, I come from a faith perspective as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think of certain saints that were, like, definitely not perfect. Yes. Those are always my favorite saints. Or, like, Sometimes you learn about people that were life. definitely not perfect. Yeah, yeah. like, we study these people from the Bible, and they were making all types of mistakes. 
And like, you know, Jesus did them. So ridiculous. Like, <laughs> and you're like, I've yes. done this so many times in my life. And am I a saint? No. No. So, I mean, if these people are saints, then I think I'm, I'm fine. I'm, as long as I'm moving towards doing good and mm-hmm. doing what is value. And you talk about having great values as a business, as long as you're moving towards those values, I think everything else, like perfection does not exist at all. Yeah. <laughs> and we can look to so many leaders out there that are not perfect, but they have the power to be leaders. So exactly. we should give ourselves some break and some slack. Yeah. Well, a, a big, so- oh, I just want to add one more thing. A big thing that I learned. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, was just like granting myself the opportunity to make those mistakes. Like, Mm. be able to say like I made this mistake and it's okay and we're just gonna keep moving like that is that is a huge privilege to have because I didn't I didn't always see that in my last job especially um when I was trying to kind of expand the role and so it was like I'm allowed to make mistakes and we're all allowed to make mistakes so that's just part of being human yes and you learn so much about yourself about your industry about what you can provide when you make those mistakes Almost you almost do yourself a better service just giving yourself the freedom to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, first, I want to thank you so much for talking with me today. And then I also wanted to ask how people can follow along on your story. Yeah, absolutely. So um, on Instagram, I am Wokespace, W-O-C-S-P-A-C-E. Um, you can find my website is Wokespace Marketing. And if you want to send me an email, it's um, wokespace at gmail.com. Um, I also have a Facebook group if you want to join. It's Wokespace Community. And I hang out in there and post pretty often. Awesome. I will share all that information, your Instagram, your Facebook community down below. And um, hopefully your conversations and panels go amazingly and you continue to do amazing things. I can't wait to see how far along you go on your journey and in your story of life. Thank you so much. Thank you. I love how Hannah emphasizes cultivating a sense of worthiness and work ethic and how that was key in setting up herself for starting a business. It's such a breath of fresh air to see her community-minded approach to marketing and coaching. I can see how generously people gave to her crowdfunding campaign in support of her amazing mission. If you liked Hannah's story and don't want to miss stories like hers, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Share this podcast with a friend on social media, and don't forget to tag Tell Me If You Can podcast on Instagram. Have an amazing day in your amazing story.